I want to preach a message called fail-proof faith. Fail-proof faith. One of my biggest concerns as a result of this pandemic is how people have neglected their walk with God or how people have been challenged in their walk with God. And I'm going to say it a few times today, but you only really know what you believe when what you believe is tested. And for many people, their faith in God was tested. God, if you're a God of love, then why did this happen? God, if you are a God that promises us this, then why are we going through this difficult season in our life? God, 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 God. And they start questioning the Word of God. Well, the Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If God has done it before, He can do it again. If God has done it for somebody else, He can do it for you. But the key is, are you using what God has given you to inherit the promise He has for you? And that key is faith. I've said this many times, and I've probably said every single Sunday until the end of this year, but if we're going to treat church as something that is optional, our children and the people around us will treat it as unnecessary. So we have to be centered by what is inside us, which is Jesus Christ, the hope of glory, not by our circumstances that surround us. I mean, I want to say this to you today, and I'll say it every Sunday as well. God is real. Three people are saved. Okay, so when I do the altar call this morning, everybody else is going to come to the front because um, only three people went, amen. What does amen mean, pastor? So be it. I agree with you. And I said, God is real. God is alive. And He's working in our lives and He's working through our lives. I'm not here to try and impress you. I'm here to lead you to a place where you live like I live with an absolute conviction that God is who He says He is. And that He wants a living, vibrant relationship with each and every one of us. He actually wants a relationship with every person in this world. And it's through that relationship that we get to know Him. We get to know His will. We get to know the different facets of His life. And we've spoken a lot about His Word. We've spoken the necessity to believe the Word of God. We've spoken about the necessity to pray that prayer isn't your last option. Prayer is your communication with God. We've spoken how we need to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. How God's Spirit's got to lead us into all truth. And then we've got to apply our faith in different areas of our lives and in different circumstances. And we've got to learn to navigate God's Word. I mean, some of us are facing real battles. But I want to encourage you this morning and tell you that God has not abandoned you. And we've got to stop running around looking for the answer everywhere else. That we have to set our hearts upon Him. Because like we sang this morning, He still is the way maker. He still is the miracle worker. He still is the light in the darkness. And as the world gets darker, more confused, the church should shine brighter. We shouldn't be so worried about the world. We should be worried about, not worried, but concerned about our own relationship with the living God. God knows how to send the raven in your season. He knows how to sustain you in the fire. He knows how to care for you in the storm. But you have to put your trust in Him. He knows how to renew your strength when you're weary. He knows how to comfort you as only He can. And I want to say this to somebody today, and I pray that you're listening, whether you're listening here in Durban, Belito, or on, uh, I nearly said Facebook, but we're no longer doing Facebook live. The message gets put on Facebook in the week after. We're no longer doing YouTube live, except for those that have applied for incapacitated reasons as to why they can't be in church. But for those on Faith TV, I don't know what I was going to say. 
Besides, we love you. And get into a church if you can. Get into a CRC if there's one near you. Otherwise, whatever. I want to declare today that God is going to show up on your behalf. I want to declare to you today that God will show Himself strong in your life. Because He is a God of the turnaround. I mean, we get so caught up in what we're going through that we miss God in what we're going through. We forget that the gospel is good news. Like I said, what God has done before, He can do again. So if I read in my Bible, I can claim it for my life. What He's done for others, He can do for me. Because the Bible says in Mark 10, 27, that what is impossible with man, with God, all things are possible. So we serve a limitless God. And it's time to activate our faith and time to use our faith to draw what God has for us so we can do what God has called us to do. Oh, come on, somebody this morning look like you want to be in church today. I'm excited. I'm expectant. But I need people to work with me. So in Luke chapter 22, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke 22. I hope you bring your Bibles to church. I've got mine on my cell phone, Pastor. Great. And you get phone calls and messages and text messages. Okay, you don't. You're not that popular. Inboxes, DMs. In Luke 22, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper and teaches on greatness by saying, He who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, verse 26, and he who governs as he who serves. Then he goes on to predict Peter's denial. And I want you to see this. Jesus was not trying to belittle Peter. He was trying to teach us something. And the thing that he was trying to teach us is, because we all go through it, can you have faith in the middle of a crisis? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but people are going through crises. As long as you are alive in this good body that God has given you, you're going to face challenges. John 16, 33 says, in this world you will face tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, that in Christ you are an overcomer, that your peace is in Him, not in your circumstances. So we, we're going to face battles. It's real. But God has given you a promise that whatever is born of God will overcome this world, overcome its battles. But your, your currency that you have to use is faith. And so I want to teach to you, teach to you. Gee, where has my English gone? I want to teach you how to have fail-proof faith. Because God guarantees us that we can overcome. Luke 22, verse 31. I've said a lot, and just in case people say he's not reading from the Bible, so let him read from the Bible quickly. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31. I'm happy because this week's a great week for me. The Lord said to Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. It's a nice thing to hear from God, right? That he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. Who's praying for us? Jesus is interceding at the right hand of the Father right now for us. I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, like many people say, both to prison and to death. And he said to him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny, will deny me three times that you know me. I want to read those few verses in the Passion Translation as well. It says, Peter, look at his affection towards him. He was known as Simon Peter. Simon Peter. Peter, my dear friend, listen to what I'm about to tell you. 
Satan has obtained permission to come and sift you all, not just Peter, all, like wheat and test your faith. But I, again, I'm going to say, Jesus, have prayed for you, Peter, that you would stay faithful to me no matter what comes. How many of us can say that no matter what comes, we're going to stay faithful to Jesus? I mean, it's sad to think about it, how many people ran away when we went through the pandemic? How many people ran away from God when we went through the riots? How many people have run away from God because of circumstances that seemed out of their control? Listen, we can't just serve God on the mountaintops. We have to serve Him in the valley as well. Like David when he writes Psalm 23, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Goes on to say how God is preparing a table before Him in the presence of His enemies, how God's going to reward Him. And then he says in verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He says, listen, no matter what I'm going through, whether it's the pit, the prison, the palace, I'm going to keep serving you, God, because you've given me a promise. You're with me. Goodness and mercy will follow me. You're going to guide me. You're going to lead me. I'm going to trust you. But I prayed for you, Peter, that you would stay faithful to me no matter what comes. Remember this. After you have turned back to me and have been restored, make it your life mission to strengthen the faith of your brothers. But Lord, Peter replied, ha, ha, ha. I'm ready to stand with you to the very end, even if it means prison or death. And Jesus looked at him and prophesied, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. You will deny me three times that you even know me. Yeah, Jesus gets hold of a guy who he wants to use in a mighty way, but whose life is in a mess. I mean, think about Peter for a second. A man that we know had reckless faith, a man that we spoke about last week, how he was willing to get out of the boat, Matthew chapter 14, how he was willing to walk on water, a man that was in love with Jesus and surrendered everything, a man that had a business, and when Jesus called him to follow him and said, come follow me and I will make you, he gave up his business, his industry to follow Jesus. His life is in a mess. Why? Because they're about to crucify Jesus. Jesus has been talking to them about the Last Supper and how He's going to leave them and how He's going to have to die. And Peter's wrestling with all these things. And Jesus forewarns him. He says, listen, Satan wants to sift you as wheat. Your Christian walk is not always going to be tippy-toeing through the daisies. There are times your faith is going to be tested. There are times you're going to question your faith in God. There are times that you're going to walk with God and things aren't going to make any sense, but you're going to worship Him anyway. You're going to praise Him anyway. You're going to love Him anyway. You're going to serve Him anyway. There are going to be times that you're going to think, but God, and you're going to still love Him. Satan wants to sift you as wheat. Well, maybe that's not always such a bad thing. Because when they sifted wheat, you separated the chaff, the worthless, worthless things, the husks, from the corn, from the wheat, that, to that which is valuable. You took the, the invaluable 
and separated from the valuable. And maybe sometimes God will use circumstances in our lives. Could God be using Satan to demolish that which is worthless in our lives? That which is worthless in our world to get to what is valuable, that what really matters most? I mean, we can understand the Bible a little bit and and we know that Jesus could have stopped the sifting. Jesus could have stopped the mess. Like He could have stilled the storm in in Mark 6 when He saw them straining, battling. But He says to Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. As a pastor, one of the hardest things for me, to be honest with you, is when you see God touch people and somehow through time they lose fire for God. They lose passion for God. You see how people sit on the front row of a church and then over time it's the third row, then it's the, the eighth row, then it's the 18th row, then it's the 26th row, and then it's the 40th row. And I always say to people when I get a chance to greet them in the 40th row, I say to them, listen, the people that sit in the back row are the ones that want to have children, more children. You should rather sit at the back and move forward than sit at the forward and move back. You see young people on fire and then they get distracted by another young person. You see young people on fire and they, and they get doused by family that say, listen, you, you're going over the top with this Jesus thing. I went through that. I went through giving up sport and my dream of playing professional sport to going into the ministry and my parents thought I lost my mind. I was a young man doing well in business at the age of 22, 23, which is a few years ago, and I was earning between eight and 12,000 rand a month driving a brand new car, owned my own flat, and I gave it up for, for, for like one and a half thousand rand a month. And when I told my parents I'm going to the ministry, they said to me, you mean you're gonna bum off people for the rest of your life? I went through that persecution. And I had to make a decision that I'm either all in or I'm not in at all. You can't serve God with one foot in the church and one foot in the world. You can't serve God with this half commitment. You either are committed to Christ and are a Christian or you're not. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. You're either in or you're out. It's not like on a Sunday, I put my left foot in. I put my left foot out. Oh, it's a charismatic church. I put my left foot in and I shake it all about. (laughs) Just for that hour on a Sunday, we do the hokey pokey and we turn around. That's what it's all about. No, it's not just about a Sunday hour. Must I do that one again for you on this side? (laughs) How do you sing that song if it's not a charismatic church? I put my left foot in. I put my left foot out. I put my left foot in. You may not shake it about. <laughs> Stoltekak. You're either in or out. That's why every one of us has to have a personal encounter with Jesus. You can try and argue with theology. You can try and argue with religion. You can argue, argue, argue with me. But the day I gave my heart to Christ, which is on the 7th of November, 29 years ago this year, um, He came into that room and He touched me and I felt his peace I felt his presence I felt his love and forgiveness it was real it wasn't religion 
How I said the prayer didn't matter. It was my heart's cry to God. When you come through your mess, Peter, when you come through your mess, Joan, when you come through your mess, Sapiwe, when you come through your mess, Joseph, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen the faith of your brothers. We are living in a world that is in total confusion. A world that is in chaos. It's not more chaos, it's just in chaos. And we know that God is not the author of chaos. But a thought, could God be using this chaos to reset things in our lives? I mean, Jesus doesn't pray and say, Peter, I'm praying for you that the sifting wouldn't happen. Peter, I'm praying for you that you wouldn't get hurt. I'm praying for you that you won't cry in this time, that you won't experience some hardship. I'll say it again, you only know what you really believe, truly believe when it's tested in your life. I mean, if Peter was alive in our world today, like many other biblical characters, he would be roasted on social media for all the things he did. I mean, Jesus is talking to Peter. Peter was known as the the cussing disciple. I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to get one photo of me where I smile. That's why they're here so much. Because people say I don't smile enough. One day I'll go for a plastic like thing and I'll look like Joel Osteen. <laughs> I don't even know how I got onto that. But, but, but think about it. Peter was known to have a rough tongue. And Jesus doesn't pray that Peter would stop swearing. Now we shouldn't swear. And I know all of you are so Christianese that if you're hanging a painting and you, and you, and you hit your thumb with a hammer, uh, you all just start praying in tongues and going hallelujah, etc. I understand all that stuff. You glow in the dark as well. I understand. Yes, I know. He doesn't pray that he wouldn't cuss anymore. He doesn't pray to say, Peter, I'm going to deal with your anger issues, although we shouldn't be angry. And the Bible warns us, be angry, but do not sin. But when they came to arrest Peter, Peter drew his sword and he cut the ear of one of the centurions quickly. Do you think Peter was going for his ear? He was a bad shot. He was trying to split him in half and he had a bad aim and by mistake took off the ear. We read it all glowy in the dark nonsense it was perfectly I mean the blade of that sword was like a a surgeon's blade really it was a sword I mean when you're young and they show the picture of Peter stealing an ear it's like somebody's holding the ear and there's like one drop of blood and the ear is like this neatly cut off ear with no blood and it would have been gross and Jesus took it and put it back on but he doesn't pray for Peter to, to not Swear, and he doesn't pray for Peter to deal with his anger issues. He doesn't pray that Peter wouldn't deny him. He didn't pray for his morality, he prayed for his mentality. He didn't pray that he wouldn't fail or face trials, he prayed that his faith should not fail. 
Listen, family, the qualification for God to use us is not in our perfection or in our religious piety. Our qualification for God to use us is in our surrender, in our willingness, in our obedience, in our authenticity, in our repentance, in our faith towards God. And nobody can tell you where your faith is at except you and God. You can come here looking perfect, glowing in the dark, jumping up and down, shouting amen, shaking, rattling, rolling, but be wicked. And you can be quiet here, fully surrendered, real obedience used by God. He's praying that the faith that Peter has in him would not fail. And when you return to me, strengthen your brothers. In other words, all he's saying is, can you have faith in the middle of a mess? When the world doesn't make sense, when tragedy happens and it doesn't make sense, can you still trust God? So I want to tell you this morning, just a short message, but we have to learn to trust God in the messy places. We've got to learn to trust God when it doesn't make sense. We've got to learn to trust God and to keep on trusting God. We've got to say, God, I'm with you wherever you lead me, wherever you take me, wherever, whatever comes my way, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to get to church whether I feel like it, don't feel like it. I'm going to read my Bible whether I feel like it, don't feel like it. I'm going to obey the Word whether I feel like it or don't feel like it. I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to obey you, God. I'm going to bless those who hurt me and spitefully use me. I'm going to bless those who curse me. I'm going to forgive those who don't deserve to be forgiven. There's value to trusting God in messy places. I mean, how are we going to turn our tragedy into triumph if we don't trust God in the messy places? In the tragedy. In Proverbs 3 verse 5, the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. There's many things I don't understand. Many things. How, how do you understand a young person dying? Somebody who hasn't even experienced life yet. How do you understand it? I don't even want to go down that line. Certain things that are happening in this world, it makes no logical sense. Certain things that are happening in your lives and my lives make no logical sense. How people can mistreat you, how people can use you, how people can abuse you, it makes no sense. But the Bible says, trust in the Lord with your, all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. He knows how to get you out of the mess. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, which means revere Him, honor Him, and depart from evil to be healthy your flesh and strengthen your bones. And then it goes on to say, honor your mother and father, blah, blah, blah. It'll give you a long life. I mean, if we can't believe God in the middle of a mess, we might as well stop right there. If we can't trust God in the middle of a mess, we might stop. Might as well stop there. I mean, think about Job, who, who lost everything. Satan came to sift him. And when his friends come and give him all this information about what he should do, he says, hey, I'm not abandoning God. Job 13 verse 15. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Though he slay me, I will still trust him. I'm still going to, I don't care what happens around me. In other words, even if it doesn't make any sense, 
what I'm going through. Going to trust Him. Going to trust Him. Romans 8 verse 28, we know all things work together to good for those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. As long as I stay in His purpose and love God, He's going to work everything around for my good. We understand we're on a journey with God. We understand we're under construction with God. We're not sure we understand why we're going through what we're going through, but we understand the Bible in Genesis 50 verse 20, that what the enemy intended for my harm, the devil, God's going to turn it around for my good. Let me say this to you this morning. Nobody escapes the mess. Rich or poor. I mean, I sometimes don't understand why God blesses some people financially. I mean, another guy the other day, he, he got paid out workers' compensation because he, got, he, he was sick and he got paid out a whole lot of money and then, then he inherited a whole lot of money. And I mean, he's, <laughs> he was swearing like a trooper. And I thought to myself, that's unfair. Okay, maybe he was Peter, because Jesus didn't tell him to stop cussing. Maybe he loves God with all his heart, and he gave his tithe of everything he got, and blah, blah, blah. Maybe. I don't know the guy. I thought, Lord, if you gave me that money, I could do this for you. How did that guy get that money? Well, why is this unfair, man? Life sometimes is unfair. But I've got to learn to trust God in the middle of a mess. Whether you're black, white, pink, green, yellow, colored, whatever race they want to name you, Indian, whatever. Everybody has messes in their lives. Whether it's self-inflicted, whether it's just life throwing stuff at you, educated, uneducated. The truth is we all have to face the mess. It's just different messes. And so the truth is we've got to stop running from our mess and learn to deal with our mess. 1 John 5 verse 4 says, Whatever is born of God overcomes this world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, our faith in God. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Overcome your mess. Because this leads to my second point. There's a reason to trust God in the mess. And it's not just about you. Because he says to Peter, I pray that your faith wouldn't fail and when you return to me, when you overcome your mess, when you fix up the messy situations in your life, when you get back on the mountaintop, strengthen the faith of your brothers. The Bible says if you refresh others, God will refresh you. So the first thing I want to say to you this morning is we have to trust God in messy places. But the second thing is we have to strengthen the faith of people around us. Jesus says to Peter, when you, when you are converted, strengthen the faith of your brothers. In other words, help your brother. I mean, like with Jesus, everybody is loyal to you when the crowd are going Hosanna, when you're on the mountaintop, when they're celebrating you. But you want people to be loyal to you when they say, crucify him, the messy times. But I say it again, Jesus says to Peter, once you've converted, settled in what you truly believe, once you've settled, strengthen the faith of your brothers. Because we can't really strengthen people when we don't know what we believe. 
And it doesn't mean you've got to be in church for three years till you decide what you believe. I got to the place that when I read the Bible, when I got saved, I decided there and then to believe the Word of God. I decided that there and then I'm a Christian. I decided that there and then I'm going to follow God. I didn't try and work everything out. I didn't try and make out as if I got a smooth life all the time. I didn't try all these little gimmicks. Even today, I tell people the truth that I haven't got it all together. Yes, I'm not where I was, thank God, but I'm still not where I want to be with God. I'm on a journey with God. And because my encounter with God was so real, I haven't stopped doing this. This is not religion to me. Being a pastor is not a career. And I want to move up the ladder. I've been wrestling with God for three years over Genesis 50. And it was like the Lord said to me this morning and last night. That what you trust in me for, I will do for you. Not the people that you thought would do it for you. But here's the condition. Like a Joseph. They might have intended for your harm. Whatever the reason was. But I'll turn around for your good. But Joseph says to his brothers at that time when they try to have him killed, he said, don't, 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 don't live in fear. I'm going to take care of you. And God said it to me like that. When you come through your battles, you take care of people with no strings attached. Even those who didn't treat you properly. That makes no sense. But he says, when you, when you convert, when you get back to that place where you're willing to trust me, take what I've got you through and strengthen others. When last did you share with somebody what God has done for you to encourage them in your faith instead of focus on what God hasn't done for you yet? We can become so ungrateful for what God has done that we can't ever receive what He still wants to do because all we're focused on in what He hasn't done instead of thanking Him for what He has done. And part of thanking Him for what He has done is telling others, look what the Lord has done in my life. He saved me. He healed me. He delivered me from this situation. He put His hand of protection upon me. Oh, come on, somebody that the Lord has done something for. Jump to your feet and give Him praise this morning, man. You're not praising me. You're praising God. You're not praising man. You're praising God. I've got to close. Strengthen the faith of your brothers. Because really what God is saying, simple. And I know as I say this, I'm going to irritate some people. But listen to what I'm saying. Don't preempt what I'm saying. God is simply saying that if He can get it to you, let me rephrase it. He's saying, I will give it to you if I can get it through you. Listen carefully. Because most preachers use this phrase for money. But it's for everything in life. Because when you stop the flow, it cannot grow. We know it about finances, but do we know it about mercy? Do we know it about love? 
Do we know it about forgiveness? Do we know it about joy? Do we know it about hope and encouragement? Matthew 5, 7, the Bible says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. John 3, 16, uh, John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave. He let it flow through Him. Mark eleven twenty five says, Forgive so you can be forgiven. Mark 11, uh, uh, Luke 6, 38 says, Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, with, will be put in your bosom, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. If God can get it through you, He will give it to you. God is not mocked, the Bible says. Whatever you sow, so too will you reap. So if you're only talking discouragement, you're going to only reap discouragement. If you're only talking gossip, they're going to gossip about you. If you only focus on negativity, that's all you're going to get back is negativity. I had a severe knee injury which culminated in eight operations just on one leg. Last one was in March this year where I had a knee replacement. But listen, the time that I broke my knee and damaged my knee, I was 16 years old. Healthy, strong, good looking like I am now. And what happened was I had an operation, was in hospital for three or four days, and they took me home. In those days you had plaster Paris, uh, or like a, a kind of funny thing, whatever. But from here, right down to your toes. Only the top of your toes stuck out. You couldn't move. And there was a time just after the operation, I got home, and I couldn't get out of bed because my leg was so sore. So my father made sure I got out of the bed, and I stood up with my leg in plaster, and I passed out because of the pain. I was never a tiny guy, and I hit the floor, and they called an ambulance, and they put me back in the ambulance, and they rushed me back to the hospital. Now, here's what I want you to hear. The doctor wasn't concerned about the pain. He was concerned about the circulation that was hindered in my leg. Because he knew the leg would get better when the blood flows freely. Listen. It's the same with a heart attack. If a person is having a heart attack, they're worried about the pain. But the doctors are worried about the blockage because they want the blood to flow. When you don't give... What you've got, when you don't give what God has done for you, you stop the flow. And that's when pain comes and swelling comes. And that's when you become religious Christians. When Peter converted, when you come back to me, Peter, imitate what you've received. Peter, you got love. Give love. Peter, you receive mercy. Give mercy. Peter, you received grace. Share grace. Peter, you received blessings. Give blessings. 
I forget when God healed me of cancer, He said this to me, I healed you so let it continue to circulate through your life. You see, givers get blessed. Friendly people get friends. Merciful people receive mercy. And if you and I are stingy in any area of our life, we break the flow. And the Bible's clear, what God has blessed can't be, can't be cursed. And you have to go to churches and you're we having a break the curse service. Really? When the Bible says Jesus became the curse for you, how can you be cursed? The Bible says if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. So if all things have become new, how can you ever curse? The devil can't curse what is blessed. What God has blessed cannot be cursed, so you're not under a curse. Maybe you find yourself in a place where you're not working hard. Therefore, if you don't work hard, the Bible says you cannot eat. There are principles in the Bible that God wants to release in our lives. And we as Christians can't sit back and wait for God to do something when God wants to do something through us. We almost put ourselves under a form of bondage. Oh, I was brought up in a poor home, and therefore I will be poor for the rest of my life. Oh, I was brought up with this problem, and therefore I have that problem for the rest of my life. Oh, la, 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 la. No, listen, in Christ you're a new creation. In Christ you can have everything the Bible says you can have, but you're going to have to do your part, and you're going to have to exercise your faith in God. And faith is calling those things that be not, even if they were. If you came to pre-service prayer, you would see people praying over these chairs every morning, saying, Father, we thank you that these chairs are filled in Jesus' name. I mean, last Sunday, we've had our biggest attendance ever, even before COVID at our 8.30 service. It's holidays now. But we're calling those things that be not. I'm calling myself blessed. I'm calling myself the head, not the tail. I'm calling myself favored. If you haven't got a job, call in a job and then go and apply for jobs. If you haven't got happiness, the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you haven't got friends, be friendly yourself and God will do what He says He will do. But by being a dam, not a river, we end up putting ourselves in a place of being stifled. And so the enemy deceives us into making wrong decisions. Now they're telling me I've got to stop. Big noughts in front of me. Nought, 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 nought. Now it's going to go to minus now. Watch. If you've been blessed, bless somebody else. You see, the true mark of Christianity, I'm closing with this is to love the unlovable. Touch the untouchable. Care for those that nobody wants to care for. Reach out to those even if they look like they've got it all together. To bring close to God those, not only society has cast off, but that, that those who have wandered away from God. And we can't have a move of God without God. His nature, His love, His mercy. But the truth is, it takes faith to live like that. I was talking to my father. He would kill me if he knew he was the illustration in my sermons. But I was talking to him this week, and he, he was talking about a very successful person that he knows in, in, in the United Kingdom. So I, how, how well this guy did. And I said to him, Dad, man, just get him to give us a couple of pounds for our church. You know, we can, we can, we can do with a couple of hundred million pounds. I made a joke. And he said to me, 
No, he'll never give it to you because he's Jewish. I wasn't born yesterday. So I said, so am I. Jesus was a Jew. But you call yourself a Christian. Yeah. Do you know why we call Christians? Because we are seen as little Christs. Doing what Christ did. That's why you're called Christian. Not because you belong to a church. Not because you were brought up in the Christian faith. But because you do what Christ does, did. And you're seen as a little Christ. You're seen as somebody that goes around doing what Christ did. They were called Christians for the first time in Antioch. Because they lay hands on the sick. They prayed for those that nobody wanted to touch and go near. They, they were generous with their lives and they gave and they, they lived out this Christian faith and they said, listen, those are Christians. We're all going to go through a stage in our lives where we're going to question our faith. At different stages of your life, you question your faith. Because of people, sometimes you question your faith. Because of circumstances. But I want to remind you this morning that if you put your trust in God and you, you can live with fail-proof faith, you can overcome any and every battle you face, you can make a difference in the world that you live, that your life can be a phenomenal testimony to the goodness, mercy, and love of God. For God to use us, we've got to remember it's not about our perfection, but our faith in Him. That doesn't fail. I want you to stand with me this morning. Come on, I want you, just for a second. Where do you stand with God? They're in Belito. They're on Faith TV. Where do you stand with God? Where does God stand with you? Have you got a relationship with Him? Are you trusting Him? Maybe like Peter, you've wandered away. Maybe you got to a place where you denied Jesus. Somebody recently said to me, I, I'm cross with God. Said, That's okay. <laughs> God's not small-minded. I've had my kids cross with me. It didn't make me stop loving them. But what he wants you to do is come back to him. I want every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around here in Durban, they're in Belita. You've never given your heart to Jesus. You've never fully surrendered. Well, I was brought up in church and I went to church and I was, in, I was this and I was that and a choir boy and I was conf No, no, no. You've never given your life to Him. I went to church for years and never knew Him. I knew about Him but never knew Him. There was an emptiness on the inside of me that nothing could fill. Alcohol, partying, uh, sport, business, money, nothing. Relationships couldn't fill, fill that void. Until I came to a place where I said, Jesus, will you come into my heart? Do you hear this morning, you've never given your heart to Christ. There in Belita, you've never done that. Or maybe you have, but like Peter, you're, you lost your faith. And you realize today is a day where you ought to come back to Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, listen, if I die right now, I don't have the assurance of salvation. But you can have my brother, my sister. All you've got to do is 
invite him into your heart. While every head is bowed, every eye closed, nobody moving around, please. Nobody moving around. Believers are praying in this place. That's you this morning. Quickly, there in Belito, slip up your hand and say, yes, you're talking to me. I've never given my heart to Christ. I have, but I've wandered away. Pray for me this morning. I want to get right with God. I want to surrender to Christ. I want to get back to that place where my faith is in God. I believe in Him. Not that I believe about Him. I want to know Him personally. Pray for me this morning. There in Belito, here in Durban. Pray this prayer with me. Just put your hand upon your heart. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I surrender my life, my everything to your Lordship, your ownership. I believe that you are the Son of God. You rose from the grave to give me life. I put my trust in you. I ask you this morning to move past my reason, intellect, and emotions to become my Lord and Savior. And I will serve you all my days. In Jesus' name, amen.